Truth News Network. Conservative thought, not just talk. Bringing truth to political lies, misdirection, and disinformation. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice in the storm is Dan Newman. And boy, don't we have a storm that we're trying to exist in. Yeah, it's all around us, folks. It hasn't let up much. In fact, it's intensified. And here we go again. We're circling back to a year ago regarding the way the politicians are telling us we've got to respond to COVID-19. This new Omicron variant. All it really is, folks, it's a, um, a key for politicians to come out and once again wield their power and authority over the American people. I promise you, before this is done, we're going to have another major across-the-nation lockdown, and they're going to blame it on the Omicron variant. Although, so far, that variant has been benign. Yeah, it's COVID-19, and it could get bad and ugly. But all the real experts, especially the doctor in South Africa who discovered it in the first place, looks at what's happening about the way our media worldwide, not just in the U.S., but worldwide, have taken this Omicron variant and made it the unbelievable, worst of all kind of things that people would feel and experience and that we better run for the hills because it's going to be it's going to be worse than anything we've seen before. And it's really not. In fact, in her nation, in which she discovered it among hundreds of people, there hasn't yet been one patient hospitalized because of the reactions in the virus, the causes of what the virus has done in them. In fact, she said it's like a a bad cold, nothing more. I don't want to diminish it, folks. And what we're going to do, we're going to get into it just uh, right at the top of this show today. And we're going to talk about something that nobody, nobody in Washington is willing to even address. And it has to do with COVID-19. And especially with this transition we just made in the past couple of weeks regarding a new variant, Omicron. Let me ask you, do you get the feeling that we don't know the real numbers of those who have died with an official cause of death listed as COVID-19? Stop for a second and think. How many reports have you heard from anybody? News media, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. In politics or the media, the one thing they talk about over and over and beat us over the head with every day is how many people have tested positive, not how many people have died. Now, in a Democratic-controlled political world, concentrating on one thing and beating it over and over and over into people's heads, it means one thing. Whatever they're not talking about is because they don't want to talk about it because it's much worse in the perspective of their cause, then the people are going to be willing to accept. We don't know the real numbers of those who have died with that official cause of death listed as COVID-19. Shouldn't we know exactly how many Americans have died from the virus? And not just overall, folks, but at least once a week, if not every day. 
but we don't. Why is that? The answer to that one-word question, why, is not that they, the CDC, the FDA, and the White House don't know that number. It's because they don't want Americans to know how many people have died from COVID-19. It's foolish to think that as sophisticated as the CDC and FDA are regarding statistics regarding every medical issue that is as deadly as COVID, for sure, they know all the demographics about those impacted by the disease. Now, we publish here at TNN Live and at Truth News Network, we publish weekly reports that show all the alleged reactions folks have had to COVID-19 injections. It's called the VAERS report, and those reports include the numbers of deaths, not from anything other than COVID-19 vaccinations, not COVID-19, but the vaccinations themselves. But the CDC has a footnote they put out with the numbers in these reports. They tell us the report does not represent all the adverse reactions to these vaccines, because the CDC receives what medical professionals send to them. And the CDC warns that these numbers are just a fraction of the actual numbers of VAERS incidents that have occurred during the previous week. So how many have really occurred? How many deaths have occurred? Well, looking at this VAERS report, folks, it's got a long history. It's been a weekly release from the CDC every week since 19. 90, 31 years. The numbers of adverse events from vaccinations, especially the numbers of deaths, are dramatically unnerving. Now, we're going to break it down a bit for this. Some numbers, some exact numbers. And you may not be able to catch them and put them in your memory. So here's what I'm going to urge that you do if you haven't already. What we're talking about right now is in our cover story today, at truthnewsnet.org that's titled, How Many COVID-19 Deaths Have Really Happened? So don't worry about writing these numbers down. You can look back at them in a minute. Just listen closely. The average number of adverse event reports for the past 10 years is plus or minus 39,000, including the adverse event report data for all vaccines combined, and there are a lot of them. So we're looking at about 39,000 total adverse events per year on average for all vaccines in the last 31 years. 39,000 per year for 31 years as opposed to the 675,942 adverse events posted COVID jabs in the domestic data set alone. This does not, by the way, include any under-reporting factor. You want to look at this week's report real quickly? Real quickly, it came out over the weekend. Let me just touch on it. Through December 10th, CDC, through their VAERS website, they have posted that 20,244 Americans have died from COVID vaccines. 106,000 hospitalizations, 106,000 cases that ended up at urgent care, 151,000 
Doctor office visits, 8,500 cases of anaphylaxis, 12,000 cases of Bell's palsy, 3,300 miscarriages, over 10,000 heart attacks, 19,000 cases of myocarditis, and 33,000 cases of people being permanently disabled. Now this is from January 1 this year through December 10th. So what does all that mean? Well, remember that 39,000 number? That's what it has been up until January 1, 39,000 each year for 31 years, 39,000 to 700,000. We see the same trend when we isolate standalone adverse events like death. Let's pull them out. Over 20,000 post-COVID jab deaths or reported here in the U.S. alone, not including the underreporting factor. And in the previous 10 years, the average was 155 deaths for an entire year for all the vaccines combined. Now, this report says 20,000 just from COVID-19, the vaccinations for that, so far this year. And the average for 31 years was 155 deaths per year. Now, what kind of increase is that? Listen, it's more than a 6,000% increase in reporting for daily deaths from a vaccine. So the question I've been asking, metaphorically, continually asking of the FDA, the CDC, Anthony Fauci, whoever wants to listen to me, what's the cutoff number of deaths before determining that too many have died? How many such adverse reactions, including deaths, are okay? How many are acceptable before these officials decide to stop administering the causing vaccines? Isn't death the worst outcome in terms of adverse events in the context of a vaccine or any other biological product? Jessica Rose, a doctor, a research fellow, at the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge in Israel, has taken a deep dive into the U.S. VAERS reporting system, and she shares some of the details of what she's finding, COVID-19 adverse reactions with us. VAERS, she said, despite flaws and drawbacks, is one of the greatest tools we have to evaluate vaccine safety. It was implemented due to the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. While vaccine companies were given blanket immunity against liability for those adverse reactions under the law, VAERS was created to collect injury reports in a centralized database. It makes sense. So you can monitor post-marketing safety of childhood vaccines. The system didn't get launched until 1990, as we said, So we have three decades worth of data to compare trends against. Granted, vaccine injuries are notoriously underreported. Investigations have found only 10% to as little as 1% of injuries are reported. 10% to as little as 1% are reported. So the numbers we gave you, the 20,000-plus deaths that have been reported, according to this number, 20,000, it could be 
2000 instead of 20000 We know it's grossly underreported. So when it comes to the COVID jab specifically, calculations by Steve Kirsch, who's the executive director of the COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund, suggest injuries are underreported by a factor of 41. But despite that and other shortcomings, bears can still give us valuable information about a given vaccine. Jessica Rose is a computational biologist. She has degrees in molecular biology and biochemistry. She's a native Canadian, and she did her postgraduate training in Israel, where she lives today. When her dream of surfing in Australia was dashed because of COVID-19 and that outbreak last year, she said she was just going to start writing code for statistics and graphics. And as the pandemic wore on, she applied those programming skills to the VAERS database. As mentioned, Kirsch has calculated an underreporting factor for post-COVID jab of 41, which is likely quite conservative. Rose's calculation is even more conservative than that. And she explains. She said, Steve Kirsch and I are good friends. We've been working very closely on all of this stuff for a long time. His underreporting factor is 41. He estimated that he got that based on a peer-reviewed publication that estimated anaphylaxis numbers, so he used anaphylaxis as a proxy for death. What that means is that when you hear us say these numbers, you have to multiply them by 41. If you want to go with Steve's estimate, or 31, that's her case, her multiple. Hers is the most conservative estimate. She said, I took Pfizer's phase three clinical trial data that they presented to the FDA. There were over 18,000 participants in the drug group and the placebo groups, and there were a certain percentage of individuals in each arm that succumbed to a severe adverse event, which includes death, hospitalization, visits to the ER, life-threatening adverse events, disability or birth defect. So, point seven of people in the drug arm succumbed to a severe adverse event according to their data. She used that rate and multiplied it by the number of people who had been injected with one shot of Pfizer on one date, August 10th. And that number becomes your expected number of people that would succumb to a severe adverse event based on their collected data. So you take that number and divide it by the number of reports of severe adverse events and you get a multiplication multiplication factor, an underreporting factor. When you use that base data set, the Pfizer 3 Phase 3 clinical trial data, you get 31. Ron Kostoff has also published a paper in Toxicology Reports and his estimate is 100. So whenever you're talking about the underreporting factor, I think you should talk about in terms of a range because each adverse event is going to have their own underreporting factor. I think if people actually knew the reality of what's going on, they would decide very quickly, right now, never to go near these things. This isn't hearsay. It's not conjecture. The clinical trials are garbage and there's no safety data at all. I'm not just saying this. It's very reflective in all of these adverse events data collection systems all over the world, not just in the U.S. 
They're all saying the same thing. The yellow card system in the UK, the US VARES, Australia's system, they're all saying the same thing. As an example, myocarditis in young boys. You know, it's not something that you can ignore. There's a reason why this is happening. It's because the shots are not safe. So there you got a bunch of numbers and multiples and all that kind of stuff. Put your pen down and listen. Can you remember any other time in U.S. history in which our government, and I'm talking specifically about its healthcare agencies like the FDA and the CDC and the NIH, have you known of a time or seen a time where they've accepted any deaths and other adverse reactions to any medication as okay? You can't. Why? Because there were none. So the obvious question came up yesterday when I'm doing research. The obvious question, how many times does the FDA pull its fully approved label when drugs previously approved resulted in too many and too egregious adverse reactions? How many times has that happened? You know it's happened before. So I just went to the internet and I found the list. There are more than 30 folks. The FDA fully approved. Put them out there. Go get them. All the clinical trials, human trials, they all say go get them. Uh Uh-uh, they're not. So the FDA steps up and pulls the, the label, fully approved. In today's story, I posted a link to the actual list of not just the names of the ones that have been taken out of distribution by the FDA because of adverse reactions, but it's got all the information, when, how long it was out, and what adverse reactions they created that caused the FDA to pull that approval. You'll want to take some time and digest the explanations of those effects of these medications, including several that resulted in the deaths of those who took them. The ones that caught my immediate attention on this list were Darvon and Darvacet. The manufacturer of those two drugs was Xanadine, and those were opioid pain relievers. Why did the FDA recall it? Serious toxicity to the heart between the years of 1981 and 1999. 1981 to 1999. 18 years, folks. There were 2,110 deaths reported. The problems with people that died when they used Darvon and Darvacet. The UK banned both of them in 2005. Our FDA was petitioned back in 1978 and again in 2006 to ban the drug by the group Public Citizen. There's a list of these 30-plus on that link that you go to. It's got them all. Here's my summary conclusion today. Those 2,110 people died at the hands of those two medicines. But folks, that happened over 19 years. If you believe the VAERS reported death number of 20,244 as it is per 
December 10th. If you believe that number, 20,244 here in the U.S. died from COVID-19 adverse reactions, it's impossible to accept that the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, the Democrat Party, and the President of the United States even are shoving these vaccines in the arms of Americans because they know these vaccinations will keep us safe. That's not factual, folks. They know the exact opposite is true. And it's sad to say, but I'm saying it. I'm putting it out there today. They know they are killing Americans and are not stopping COVID-19. Yet they tell us, vaccinate, vaccinate, get boosters, get boosters. What could be the motive for doing that? And when you put all the puzzle pieces out on the table and you look at them individually and you start putting them together, you come up with only one logical picture. But the answer is in multiple layers and it's spread across many people, many institutions, and many processes. It includes an untold number of deep, deep political purposes. And the answer is actually a summary of all these parts of the whole thing. I don't know all the moving parts and names of institutions and people intricately a a part of this. I don't know them all. But the sum of it all can best be tagged as a purpose of one thing. Tyranny. Tyranny. So start with just that one word, tyranny. And let your mind wander through the details of this story and what the FDA has done in the past. In fact, the whole time the FDA has been in existence regarding their historical withdrawal of their authorization for the marketing of the drugs listed in that linked report. You decide what a realistic answer in its entirety really is. God help the United States of America and save our children from the despotic medical destruction of their generation. I don't know if that's the target of these people that are perpetrating this sham. I don't want to blame any specific people or any specific group of people, but there is no plausible explanation that anybody can come up to convince me now after the evidence is out and more of it comes out every day and it's not coming out through our government and through the mainstream media because they're sticking right on their talking points. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. And it's killing thousands of people. If you use the 40 number, the 40%, four times, the VAERS numbers of deaths. If you go there, folks, we could have as many as 800,000 Americans who have died as an adverse reaction to these vaccines. Well, it's really not that, Dan. That's an extreme extrapolation. Well, there's one scientist who tagged the number there and another one that tagged it at 20. So what if it's only 20, folks? That's 400,000. This has never happened before. Never in the United States of America. And it's happening 
this Christmas week. And they're out there today beating the drum. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. In fact, Anthony Fauci said, "Is it when he was asked, is it okay to go to Christmas gatherings? And he responded as only Fauci can. You said earlier this week that if you're vaccinated, you should feel comfortable traveling and, and celebrating the holidays with, with your family. Uh, do, you, do you still believe that? No, I do. If you are vaccinated and boosted and are prudent when you travel, when you're in an airport, to be wearing a mask all the time, you have to be wearing a mask on a plane. Uh, do not do things like go to gatherings where there are people who you do not know what their vaccination status is. If you do that, and some people are even going the extra step or the extra mile of maybe even getting tested when you have people coming over the house, we now have a much wider availability of point of care tests that you can get a result in about 15 minutes. So you might want to do that. If you do these things, uh, John, I do believe that you can feel quite comfortable with a family setting, the dinners and the gatherings that you have around the holiday season. Nothing is 100% risk-free. There's no way I'm going to walk away from this until we get this under control. It's a moving target, purposely a moving target. If you ask Fauci, give us the numbers, the percentage of infections and deaths over a 30-day period that you're okay to be able to say, that's okay. And then tell us what it's going to get cost us. How are we going to do it? What's the process going to look like to get there so we can plan and structure? Folks, that's the way you run your life. That's the way you run your business if you own a business. If you don't and you work for a business, that's the way that business runs. Why isn't it being run that way now? These are people that are supposed to be the most educated in healthcare of every kind. Fauci and the CDC, they have exposure to every one of the best in every field across the spectrum of healthcare. And they can't get together and give us any factual information on which we can base some plans to get along with our lives. We're no closer to being back to quote-unquote normal this Christmas than we were last Christmas. And the big thing hanging over everybody's head is COVID-19. It's a killer and you're going to die if you don't lock down, if you don't mask up, if you don't social distance and get the shot, get the boosters. You can only go bad by not getting enough of the boosters. And then we find out the the shots don't work. Well, they do some, we think, but we don't know that. And now we find out the boosters don't work. (laughs) So what do we do, folks? And if you're a person like me, I don't believe what they're telling me. Period, because there are lies that they're caught in and they're we know their lies. They never admit. Have you heard Fauci ever apologize for giving us bad information when it becomes public knowledge that he gave us bad information? We've covered a list of those things 
in his life in public view that we've watched and listened to for over a year and their lies. He never apologizes. What kind of leader does that? And even worse, what kind of populace let that person go on at the top of the heap giving us information? I mean, folks, it's just one after another, over and over and over and over, and we see no real results. Perfect example, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, hardcore leftist. She tested positive with a breakthrough case of COVID this weekend after previously receiving not one, but two doses of the vaccine and a booster shot. This came out of her office yesterday. They said in a release, Warren test herself for the virus every week and currently only feels mild symptoms after testing positive. I regularly test for COVID and while I tested negative earlier this week, today I tested positive with a breakthrough case. Thankfully, I am only experiencing mild symptoms and am grateful for the protection provided against serious illness that comes from being vaxxed and boosted. She, of course, she towed the company line. She went further. She warned and advised everyone across the country to get their vaccine and booster shot as soon as possible. As cases increase across the country, I urge everybody who's not already done so, get the vax, get the booster as soon as possible. Together, we can save lives. That's Elizabeth Warren. Senator Elizabeth Warren. And then what about Senator Cory Booker? Booker got both doses of the vaccine and a booster shot. Sunday, yesterday, he tested positive for COVID-19. And what did he do? Quote, I learned today that I tested positive for COVID-19 after first feeling symptoms on Saturday. My symptoms, oh, they're relatively mild. I'm beyond grateful to have received two doses of vaccine and more recently a booster. I'm certain that without them, I would be doing much more. Now, how would he know that? I'd be doing much worse, he said. How would he know that? The only reason he knows it is because Anthony Fauci said, oh, you know, in the beginning for months and months and months, you get the vaccine, you're going to kick COVID's butt. And then when all of a sudden, very quietly, around the National Institutes of Health and CDC, there were whispers out in the office. Oh no, we're getting reports, breakthrough infections. What do we do? How do we characterize it? And Fauci steps up and thumps his chest and says, I'll handle it. And he gets on TV and he says, well, we're having some of what are called breakthrough infections. And you know, that's going to happen every now and then. It's kind of like the flu. You know, we tell you to get a flu shot every year and lots of people get the flu shots. Ha ha ha. And they still get the flu. Ha ha ha. What we know, he said, is these breakthrough cases of COVID and 
like breakthrough cases of flu, they're not as bad as it would have been if they hadn't been vaccinated. So that's the company line. That's what these politicians are saying every time they've been vaxxed and double vaxxed and then double boosters like Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren. Oh, but if we hadn't been vaccinated, it would be horrible. Do you think they know that over in Israel, the most vaccinated country on planet Earth, their hospitals are full today, headed into Christmas week, which, by the way, in that big a holiday <laughs> in Israel it is as it is in, in America, but that's a different story. But nevertheless, their hospitals are full of people. They're having deaths of people that have had vaccinations, boosters, another booster, There are more of the adverse reaction effects from people who have been vaccinated in Israel than among people who have not been vaxxed at all now. They don't want to talk about that. Why? It doesn't fit the talking points. So I asked another question yesterday in doing my research. I just wonder how many people in the House, the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, How many people have have been vaccinated that got COVID-19? And that's a fair question. We're talking about 535 people that work for us. You know, wouldn't you, if you were a direct employer in the company that you owned, wouldn't you want to know how many of your people have been vaccinated and gotten sick? So I checked it out. Let me tell you this, they bury the numbers, but I found them. 113. 113 combined members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate have been vaxxed. Several of them have had two vaccines. 103 have been vaccinated and been boosted, and they have COVID-19 or have had COVID-19. Two died. Well, I got to, I got to, I got to change that. Two people in DC elected people have died that were vaxxed and boosted. One of them was in office, a very young member of the House of Representatives in Texas. The other was right here in my state, 34 years old, just elected in November, hadn't even taken his oath of office and become a member of the House yet, and he died from COVID-19. It's not working, folks. It's not working. And yet, still, we're being told, don't go to Grandma's house unless you, before you even leave to go to Grandma's house for Christmas, you know and you have verification of the vaccination status of everybody that's going to be at Grandma's house. We don't want you in contact with anybody that hasn't been vaxxed, sometimes double vaxxed, and certainly hasn't had the boosters. Do you feel safe today? You know what? I came to a conclusion months ago. I'm not going to let fear drive my decision-making. I hear stories every day about especially adverse 
not adverse, but elderly Americans who won't even leave their homes because they're scared to death if they go out. They're going to catch COVID. And because they're elderly, the experts tell us again, you're the target. COVID runs and rambles around the streets of your town and city looking for old people. That's anybody 65 and older and comes after you. So be careful. Get vaccinated. Get your boosters. And stay away from people unless you have already seen their proof of vaccination cards. I made a commitment to myself and my family. I'm not going to go there. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I'm above or too good to catch something. I don't care what it is that's out there. But COVID-19 especially, I am cautious. I am careful. I don't go and put myself in stupid, close-up situations with people. I respect them and I respect me. But so far, I have been very fortunate that the process of life that I'm living in now has worked out. I've not been positive for COVID. But see, I'm not qualified. I don't have a right to live my life that way, and you don't yours. Why? Because we're not numbered among the political elites in D.C., including the political elitist bureaucrats that are controlling and running our lives. Just like Vladimir Putin runs the lives of every person that lives in Russia today. Many of them there, just like many of us here, don't realize that's the life that we are living with somebody else pulling all the strings and pushing all the buttons for everything that we've taken for granted for more than 250 years now and just kind of said, okay, that's just okay. That's what we do. We'll just move on. No big deal. But those big deals are being exposed every day as more and more are taken from the American people. And we're letting it happen. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't we're not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Who's us? Supermodels. What are you modeling? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, Your place needs furniture, and at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. 
Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The warehouse sale at Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten ten ten. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember ten ten ten. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. When fake news threatens the fabric of the nation, you have a choice. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. It was funny for me over the weekend to flip around channels and look and see who's saying what and who's going crazy about what to see mainstream media when it came out on Sunday that Senator Joe Manchin is voting no against the Build Back Better bill or the Build Back Broke bill that's pending before the United States Senate that's already cleared the House. That boondoggle, that omnibus bill, it's the biggest spending bill in U.S. history. And Manchin has the ability on his own to kill it. And he said he's voting no. It's going to be interesting to see what comes up about that. But let me tell you what has happened. He is getting excoriated. And just minutes after he said that to Brett Baer yesterday on Fox News, everybody on the left have gone stark, raving crazy. The White House issued a condemnation of Manchin. If his comments on Fox and written statement indicate an end to the effort to get this bill passed, they represent a sudden an inexplicable reversal in his position and a breach of his commitments to the president and the senator's colleagues in the House and Senate. That's Jen Psaki saying that in a statement released yesterday after Manchin was on Fox News and announced his final position. Manchin said he was deeply concerned about the bill, as are millions of Americans, which he described as mammoth and warned about its impact on the U.S. economy through inflation and increased debt. You want to hear exactly what he said to Brett Baer? I just want to make sure we get this straight. So, from the horse's mouth, on Fox News yesterday, Sunday, December the 19th, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Well, Brett, you know, this is a mammoth piece of legislation, and I had my reservations from the beginning when I heard about it five and a half months ago, and I've been working diligently every day and every minute of every day. I've been working on this, meeting with whether it be the president, President Biden, whether it be Majority Leader Schumer and his staff, whether it would be with Nancy Pelosi, uh, all of my colleagues, I mean, from all different spectrums of the political spectrum, if you will, from the right to the left, I've done everything humanly possible. And you know my concerns I had, and I still have these concerns. And where I'm at right now, the inflation that I was concerned about, it's not transitory, it's real. It's harming every West Virginian. It's making it almost difficult for them to continue to go to their jobs, the cost of gasoline, the cost of groceries, the cost of utility bills. All of these things are hitting in every aspect of their life. And, and, you, and you start looking, and then, then you have the uh, debt that we're carrying at $29 trillion dollars. You have also the geopolitical unrest that we have. You have the COVID, the COVID uh, variant, uh, 
And that is wreaking havoc again. People are concerned. I've been with my family. I know everyone's concerned. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no. Joe Manchin, you just heard it from the horse's mouth. He's voting no on the Build Back Better bill, and they can't get it without his and Kirsten Cinema, the senator from uh, Arizona. They've got to vote for this bill to get it passed. It would be 50-50 if both of them did vote yes, and that throws it to the vice president, who obviously will vote for the bill. And we're not going to spend a lot of time going through all the crazy stuff that's in this bill because it's horrible. We've done that before. We actually, uh, we posted it on our website so you could click on it and go find and pull it apart yourself. So how's everybody else reacting about Joe Manchin's verdict yesterday? Well, Bernie Sanders, senator, former presidential candidate. Uh, He's an independent from Vermont. He was on CNN State the State of the Union yesterday, and he said Manchin does not have the guts to stand up to special interest after Joe announced he's not going to vote for it. Here's what Bernie said. He will have a lot of explaining to do to the people of West Virginia who tell him he doesn't have the guts to take on the drug companies to lower the cost of prescription drugs why he is not prepared to expand home health care. West Virginia is one of the poorest states in this country. Elderly people and disabled people who would like to stay at home are forced into nursing homes. He has to tell the people of West Virginia why he doesn't want to expand Medicare to cover dental, hearing, and eyeglasses. And Sanders added, I hoped to have at least 50 Democrats on board who have the guts to stand up for working families, take on the lobbyists and the powerful special interest. No Republicans, not one Republican in the U.S. Senate or the House, for that matter, is prepared to stand up to the drug companies or the insurance companies or the wealthy. I hope to have 50 Democrats. If that is the case, then I hope we will bring a strong bill to the floor of the Senate as soon as we can and let Mr. Manchin explain to the people of West Virginia why he doesn't have the guts to stand up to powerful special interests. Now, who is Bernie Sanders speaking to when he gives that diatribe there on CNN State the Nation, State of the Union? He's talking to CNN's audience who already are all in the tank for the Build Back Better bill. So what exactly is what, what is Senator Joe Manchin? What is he going to tell the people of West Virginia? They know he's not against elderly care. He's not against lowering drug prices. He's not against any of the things he said that if he doesn't vote for this bill, he's telling the people of West Virginia he's not for these things. That's not what's going on at all, folks. He's for every one of those things. And if this bill included just those things, there would be a yes vote 
from pretty much everybody in both houses of Congress. But that's not what's in these bills. That's less than 1% of what's in this Build Back Better bill. Bernie doesn't want to talk about that. Elizabeth Warren doesn't want to talk about that. Joe Biden doesn't want to talk about that. They want the American people to stay dumb and blind and not care about what Washington does regarding anything. We're just going to, you just send us all your money and we're going to take care of you from birth to death. We're going to take care of you. Don't even question. Just believe what we tell us. That's who we are. We've got you at heart. That's why we do everything we do. And then they throw out these bills with just these little bitty snippets of things in it that are good for a majority of the American people, but are really, really, really good. The other 99% or 98% are really, really good for their compadres, their uh, campaign contributors, big businesses that have come in and paid them money to vote certain ways on certain pieces of legislation. And Bernie Sanders thinks Americans are too stupid to look for ourselves, read for ourselves, and make decisions for ourselves about the factual basis of this and everything else, folks. Why won't they just, when they want to pass a bill about something, create a bill about that very thing, send it through regular order, through the committees, get it to the floor of the House and the Senate, and do a vote based upon one thing at a time. Oh, that would take too much time. We have too many things to deal with. 99% of Joe's bill back bill shouldn't even be mentioned. It's not even thinkable. It's not about doing what's best for the American people, and the American people are getting it. The American people are getting it, folks. So the word's out. It's not looking good for the Democrat Party in the upcoming midterm elections in November. We're less than a year away from that. It's hard to believe it, but we're less than a year away from every member of the United States House of Representatives having to run for re-election or anybody that's outside the House that wants one of those seats is going to be running for the voters in those districts to vote for them instead of the incumbents. But they've got a plan. they got a plan. Nancy Pelosi, folks, when she sleeps, she's planning. After interviewing over 24 state party chairs, strategists, and executive directors, Politico has made a determination The Democrats are reframing the 2022 election as a defensive effort. Now listen to this. Rather than just keeping their majority in the House, Democrats' focus is on maintaining their Senate majority and stopping Republicans from taking over the House by more than 20 seats. Jamie Harrison, who's the Democrat National Committee chair, said this, My goal is, even if it's slim, if it's by one, it's keeping control of the House and adding at least one or two more in the U.S. Senate. At a Democrat training event in Charleston, 
one strategist said, if we're in the 10 to 20 loss of house seats range, that will be better than we thought. One state party chair gave up on the idea of a Democrat majority in the House telling Politico, I don't see any way we keep the House. New Jersey Democrat Party's vice chair, Peg Schaefer, said this, I'm scared. We need to get the vote out, and in the midterms, it's hard to do. Inflation's rising. Joe's approval rating is plummeting. Thousands of Americans are dying every day from COVID. Democrats feel their 2022 prospects are not promising. Carl Sandstrom, a lawyer working with Democrats, said it certainly isn't promising, but it's a long year. Certain Democrats, like Sandstrom and Nevada Democrat Party Chair Judith Whitmer, are optimistic about their chances still in 2022, but they're a part of a dwindling minority of Democrats. we got to stop with this tendency to have a self-fulfilling prophecy, Whitmer said. We keep hearing this narrative, it's going to be a bloodbath. I don't think we should look at it like that. I think we have to be optimistic. Have any thoughts or questions about what some of the other more liberals, those hard left um, gang members are saying about this thing with Joe? This thing about the Democrat Party and because AOC and the gang, they think the Democrat Party is not even thinking or trying to move far enough left. So the message they're sending out over the weekend, they just got together apparently and they just went nuts. If Democrats think they're going to get reelected in 2022, they are delusional without progressive priorities like student debt, the child tax credit set to lapse at the end of this year. That's according to AOC, the leader of the gang. She claimed that the Democrat Party's failure to get the policies through would mean the party could likely lose its congressional majorities in both houses. It's actually delusional, she said, to believe Democrats can get reelected without acting on filibuster or student debt, Biden breaking his BBB promise, letting child tax credit lapse, zero path to citizenship, etc. She also claimed that re-election was unlikely when Democrats run from conversations about race and culture. AOC added that while some were inclined to blame moderate Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who often opposes progressive policy items, learned helplessness is not a disposition that inspires confidence or support. She claimed President Biden and the congressional Democratic leadership have tools at their disposal right now, said a vote should be forced on the Build Back Better bill if it really is just one to two votes. She said Biden told the Congressional Progressive Caucus he would put his credibility on the line to pass the BBB before the bipartisan infrastructure bill vote to get them to vote for it. They trusted him, she wrote. I don't think he could promise the Senate. He promised anyway, and it's time for him to deliver. Now, Chucky Boy, you remember his role in this entire thing. He guaranteed he had enough votes, got enough votes, got enough. Well, now in the midst of all this, he acknowledged the bill is likely going to be delayed until next year as talks between Biden and Manchin continue. Based upon what Joe Manchin had to say yesterday, folks, 
There's no need for anybody to come talk to him about it. He made it very clear. His vote, he said yesterday, is a no. And it wasn't just a mild declaration, folks. He said, I'm out. Can't handle it. Can't handle the inflation. Can't handle all the misrepresentation and the pork and the fat that's in it. We're not going to pass the Build Back Better bill in the Senate. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless sleep blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle... Snuggle... out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Can you imagine what's going on at the White House right now? What do you think's happening in the Oval Office? What kind of conversations does Biden have? Is he a keep positive all the time guy? The glass is always half full. It's never half empty, and we're going to get through this and pull all this together. There has to come a point in the life of a politician when they they say, look, guys, we just got to face facts. What we would like to happen ain't happening. So we're going to have to deal with the inevitable, whatever that is. I don't think it's happened so far. I know it hasn't in large fashion. It may have been thought of or mentioned, but they've never embraced it. Meanwhile, Do you wonder how the numbers are going for Joe Biden in the White House? Well, according to the economist analysis of the data of the recent polling, Mr. Biden's failure, they say, to impress the young now threatens his entire presidency as he lost significant support since January. Currently, just 29% of adults under the age of 30 approve of Biden's job performance while half disapprove. The net rating of minus 21 points is the worst for any age group. However, his net approval is underwater with other age groups as well. Adults 65 and older give Biden an approval of negative 8, while those 45 to 64 give him negative 5. 
Adults 30 to 45 give Biden a negative rating in the double digits, down 17 points. Overall, this is, this is impossible to understand or believe. It's more easy to understand than to believe it. Overall, he has experienced a 50-point drop-off in support among young Americans since he took office. This is what The Economist said. Why have the young turned on him? Many told YouGov.com that their biggest concerns were climate change and health care. Here the president has promised much, but so far delivered little, if anything. Younger Americans also care more about civil rights and abortion and may be energized by recent Supreme Court rulings on the latter. Others are angry about student loan debt and Mr. Biden's unfulfilled promise to cancel at least $10,000 owed by every borrower. It's no question, folks. Biden has failed to act on several of the measures that young Americans prioritize on their own list, like student loan relief. Biden is refusing to extend the forbearance period, which means you don't have to pay for a while, which former President Trump started last year in the middle of COVID mandates and lockdowns. Breitbart Bart News reported this. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki admitted last week the president has no plans to extend student loan relief, which began under former President Trump last year because of the COVID-19 pandemic and coinciding mandates and restrictions compromising millions of Americans' jobs and their ability to even earn a living. The forbearance period for student loans ends January 31st, 2022. So in the coming weeks, we will release more details about our plans and will engage directly with federal student loan borrowers to ensure they have the resources they need and are in the appropriate repayment plan, Saki said during the Friday press briefing, adding that the administration is making a range of preparations, kind of like that supply thing, supply chain thing. Saki told us, oh, we started working on this plan before we even took office, fixing the supply chain problem. Somebody in the White House press briefing room tried to ask her this question, well, can you give us a copy of the plan? You said you have a plan. Nobody ever pushed through and got that question to her so she would answer it. I I was waiting. I wanted to hear what they had to say because you and I both know based upon what we see, not on what they say, but what we see, they didn't have a plan. They don't have one today. Still, they don't. And we found out and reported on Friday just by doing some research ourselves, they're stacking up again. These boats, these big ships are stapping, uh, stacking up outside our ports one more time because what happens in the ports, the one part of our supply chain issue that we handle here in the United States, the Biden administration say they're handling it. They haven't touched it. Symbolism over substance. Symbolic without any substance. That's what we see every day in this administration. You know what's interesting? There's one place where they don't have this kind of problem. They don't have it in the COVID world, in the lockdowns, the egregious mandates, and all that kind of stuff. Who is that? Where is that? Florida. 
Florida. Remember Ron DeSantis, the governor? He just got blasted last year because he told them from the very beginning, we are not going to totally lock down here in Florida. We're going to do the right thing. And, of course, remember the news media, the Democrats, they were screaming and hollering, foaming at the mouth. You're going to kill Floridians. They're all going to die. Everybody's going to get sick because there's no social distancing and mask mandates and no lockdowns. Well, case numbers went up for a while. But guess what happened then? You know exactly what happened. It's what Anthony Fauci said in March a year ago was going to happen. We were going to get herd immunity. That means some people get infected, and after they get infected in their own biology, their own bodies create the antibodies to beat COVID-19 And then they spread them through contact with others, through breathing, touching, spread to other people. And the antibodies going around and around from circle to circle of people creates herd immunity. That began to happen in Florida. There were fewer and fewer cases of COVID. There were fewer and fewer deaths from COVID. And DeSantis, he just, he's governed that way from the get-go And he is continuing to do the same thing. And guess what is a result of that? Florida's job growth rate was six times faster than the country's as a whole in November. DeSantis on Friday, he announced it saying this, our job growth rate is six times faster than the rest of the nation. Why? Because we've worked hard to keep Florida open and protect the jobs of individual Floridians. Because we have protected their livelihoods, he said, Floridians are confident in finding work and operating their own businesses again. We'll continue to focus on our state's foundation of freedom to ensure that Florida remains a leader in the economic growth and Floridians are able to succeed. What do their numbers look like? Florida added over 50,000 new jobs in just one month, November. That's a much faster rate than the entire nation, which added only 210,000 jobs in November. Yes, 50,000 of the 210,000 came in Florida alone, folks. The Sunshine State gained 51,100 jobs in November compared to the nation. The state of Florida also experienced tremendous labor force growth, adding 42,000 more people into the labor force. Their labor labor force has increased by 6.1% over the year compared to the national average of 0.9% over the same time period. Florida added 470,000 private sector jobs during this entire calendar year. That's increasing by a little over 6%, exceeding the national private sector job grown by 2%. Just imagine what the business climate today is in Florida. We have a bunch of entrepreneurs that listen in, listen to this show. Imagine, I know when you hear these kind of numbers, you start foaming at the mouth if you haven't already thinking about moving your company there where you could get not only get plenty of employees, but get good employees that understand what it is to work, the responsibilities of being employed at a company. Big one, medium-sized, little one, it doesn't matter. 
And what about Florida's unemployment rate? Well, it dropped 0.1% over the last month, clocking in at 4.5%. Additionally, the state's labor force growth represents a 6.1% increase over the year compared to 0.9% nationally. So how does this play into what's coming up in the 2022 midterms? You know there are people out there that are shaking in their boots, the people that felt when Biden got elected they were going to get everything and anything they wanted, that he was their guy, and he was just going to roll over and play dead and let the Democrats, especially the hard leftists, run the government. Putting all that in context, how do you think Americans are feeling about, right now today, feeling about the 2022 election? Well, Scott Rasmussen, We quote the Rasmussen Report here pretty regularly. It's very, very reliable, the most reliable and most consistent of the polling operations out there when it comes to politics. Scott Rasmussen's most recent RMG research poll shows that 44% of registered voters across the U.S. would support a generic Republican on the ballot if the election were held today. How does that look like when compared to Democrats, their support of Democrats? 38% who would support the generic Democrat. 44% for Republicans, 38% for Democrats. 9% said they would not vote, while another 10% say they are not sure. In recent months, generic Republicans have dominated in the polls from top to bottom. In the Rasmussen poll from November, generic Republicans led generic Democrats by three points, 38% to 35%. In October, three of the company's four polls showed generic Republicans leading generic Democrats by only one point. The four showed the generic Republicans and the generic Democrats even. Now the results, these are very consistent with Gallup's data. Both polling entities are coming up with the same spread of support among voters coming up in the 2022 midterms. Don't you know these Democrats up there, they are besides themselves because Americans are looking at how governing is impacting them personally and voting based on that rather than voting with their vote based on what they're told is going on and to not look at your own circumstances because everything, inflation, all this bad stuff is transitory and it's going to end. We're working hard to get it done. They talk a good story, folks, and they sell it and they're good salespeople. They're better salespeople than they are people who have substance in creating good things and great opportunities for the people they represent. I know a lot of Democrats. I know a lot of really good Democrats that in reality, folks, they're not Democrats at all. They just hang that name above them for simply pointing to the who they are politically and what party they caucus with. I get that. But Democrats are scared to death now, politically. We've, as Republicans, we've been not scared to death, but we've been very concerned about the substance 
of what is going on immediately at this time and the impacts of what is going on in a totally Democrat Party-controlled government and how it's going to impact us, impact us down the road. But it was only $5 trillion, if you believe the CBO, $5 trillion in the big scheme of thing. We already owe $29 trillion, so what's raising the number another couple of percentage points? If you don't look forward, if you don't make plans, and if you don't base on plans, on the evidence and the facts and information you have right in your face, you're going to fail. You're going to fail, folks. You're not going to be successful. Americans are not stupid people. Americans get it. Americans have better access to news and information than ever before. Yes, granted, most of, if not all, of the mainstream media outlets are hard left and hard leftist, and they're in the tank. I get that. But even in the midst of that, the conservative-leaning media in America are not the in-your-face kind of people the Democrat media pundits are. And I've never understood how the Democrat Party would ever think they could get their messaging and the pure substance of it through that media set to the American people without the American people saying, you're slandering us. Why don't you just quit pontificating on what you hear and just pass it along to us generically without your spewing vomit all over it and trying to sell us your partisan interpretation of facts when we can look and read and understand the facts for ourselves. It's insulting to me, and it's insulting to every other American, even Democrats. I don't dislike Democrats. Like I said, I know lots of good Democrats. Growing up, my parents were Democrats. I like both of my parents. <laughs> so I liked, I really liked a couple of Democrats. But you know what I'm saying? We can make our own choices. Just give us the freaking facts and let us extrapolate what they mean in my life. You don't know my life. You act like you do and you act like you care. But you don't. And that's okay. I get it. I mean, there are 330 million people that are in this United States legally that we know about. There are more we don't know about. Every one of them has a right to have their own opinion about everything. And they don't even have to unless they succumb to a desire to do so. They don't even have to listen to mine. But you know what? We don't have to listen to theirs either if we don't want to. I'm fine with just making our own determinations for ourselves using the information real news people will give to us and make our determinations. You know, it's interesting to me. We've, we've mentioned this before. Our Saturday story that is published every Saturday, it's called Saturday Bullet Points. That's a real uh, creative name, right? <laughs> what we do is we go back 
and look at the previous week and grab 10 to 15 of the the biggest stories that were underreported during that week. And we give, we'll do a bullet point and then read, you'll have two, maybe three or four sentences in describing the content of a story. And our readers look at that and if they haven't heard anything about it or they want even more information about what they heard, they click on the arrow at the end of those three or four sentences descriptions and get a full story. And often the full story that they get are not from conservative media outlets. In fact, believe it or not, the last couple of weeks, I've seen we've used a CNN story in our Saturday bullet points. We had well over a million people read bullet points here on Saturday and Sunday combined. Why is that? They want the truth. They're surfing the internet, looking for sources that they can believe. And I'm not patting ourselves on the back. Folks, it's not difficult to tell the truth and to report facts and to give people information and trust people to make their own conclusions. And we certainly at Truth News Network, we don't believe that we are endowed with some kind of right and this knowledge that gets dumped into our heads overnight by the knowledge God that we know everything and we certainly know everything you need to know. That's not the way it works. People think for themselves, all of us, and that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Give us the facts. When you get the facts Do a little research and confirm that they really are facts before you start making decisions, but then trust the decisions that you make. We're Americans. We can do that, and we should do that. We are the college at the forefront of innovative education. We are outstanding faculty teaching in cutting-edge classrooms and facilities. We are students learning powerful skills for tomorrow's workforce. And together, we are Triton. Register today. Hi guys, this is the Chevy Silverado with the world's first invisible trailer. Invisible trailer? And it's not the trailer right next to us? This guy? You don't believe me? Hop in. Good looking pickup, I will say that. Silverado offers an optional technology package with up to 15 different views, including one enhanced view that makes your trailer appear invisible. Wow. That's pretty sweet. That's cool. That's awesome. Where's the trailer though? (laughs) I love it. It's magic. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G Nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. 
Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. During breaks, during our show, what we do is we do a quick scan of the internet news sites and uh, as we just took this break, a story just popped up. Donald Trump this morning filed a lawsuit against New York State Attorney General Letitia James amid their ongoing inquiries into his businesses. James's lengthy inquiry into the Trump Organization began in March of 2019, focuses on the company allegedly misrepresenting the value of its real estate assets. assets. At the same time, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance has been conducting a criminal investigation over Trump's business practices. The lawsuit against the Attorney General accuses her of violating his constitutional rights and argues that the AG's mission is guided solely by political animus. The lawsuit asked for the investigation to stop. Quote here, James' mission is guided solely by political animus and a desire to harass, intimidate, and retaliate against a private citizen who she views as a political opponent, the lawsuit reads. It's going to be um, really interesting to see how that plays out. You know what that's all about. It's a very top-down, concerted effort on the part of Democrats in our government at every level to do anything and everything they possibly can to keep Donald Trump from being eligible to run for re-election in 2024, even though they don't have any idea if he is or not going to run. Meanwhile, he sits back in the back of the room and he loves everything that he's hearing from these hard leftists and he smells the fear that they have that he's going to run again. Not so much that he's going to win. Oh my gosh, they just don't want him to run. You know why? They don't think any Democrat can beat him if he does run. They feel like that other Republicans that would fill the spot, oh, we can take them out. But they never even figured Donald Trump out in four years. They laughed at him. Hellaciously laughed at him. I will never forget Ann, um, what's her name? The, um, the, Anne, Anne, the very conservative um, talk show host and writer, very, very conservative. I, I love her stuff. Way back in 2015, she was on Bill Maher's show on HBO, and they had a group of people that were into politics, and they were around the table talking about the 2016 election coming up. And so Bill Maher asked her, who do you think right now today, right now today, Ann Coulter is her name. Thank you. Um, Bill Maher asked her, said if, if the election was going to happen right now or if we were starting looking for a Republican candidate to run for president, who would be somebody that Mike could win, that names are out there? And she looked at him without even hesitating at all, said Donald Trump. There was a very pregnant pause among the members of that panel that were there with Bill Maher on his show, even out in the crowd that are normally very loud and boisterous, about a five-second pause. And then all of a sudden, 
everybody just wrote, just broke out with wild, hilarious laughter because nobody could believe that Donald Trump would even think about running. And if he did, of course, it'd just be a joke. But you know what happened? As it started in the very beginning of the run-up to the 2016 election, Donald Trump spoke to the American people. He didn't talk at the American people. And he, just like any politician, he began to make promises, if you elect me, here's what we'll do. Here's what I've got on my agenda. And every conservative American, they started looking at their list of what they wanted from somebody that would be potentially the next president of the United States, and they began to check off. Well, he agrees with this. He agrees with this. He doesn't like this. He agrees with this. Those are all on my list. I identify with this guy. They didn't know him. He didn't have any political history for them to point to and say, look what he did in his past, and that means he's going to do good again. But you know what? Year after year, Midterm after midterm, general election every four years, one after another over decades. Americans had seen and heard the candidates promise all the same kind of stuff that Trump did. So they knew that those people weren't going to honor their commitments. What about this guy? Why don't we just give him a chance? We're so tired of the hardcore leftists that never tell the truth, never fulfill any of their campaign promises, Let's just give him a shot. And so they did. Nobody nobody could believe it. But that's who Americans are. That's how Americans think. The average working class middle American that loves their family, loves freedom, loves freedom in the government, and loves their God. That's the way these people think. And I are one of those. And that's the way I think. Trust me the same way you've asked me to trust you when I cast my ballot for you in any election. Govern. It's governing, folks. It's not control. It's governing. And what governing means, you work for me. I don't work for you. We send you there based upon the promises you made to us You have one job and one job only. Go up there and get what you promised you were going to get us. Get it done. And don't do anything else. Boy, politics sure got away from that in a hurry, didn't they? So let's do a a vaccine mandate update. How about that? On Friday, some good news for Boeing employees, for some of them. Boeing suspended its COVID vaccine mandate for U.S. employees on Friday after a U.S. district court ruling halted Biden's vaccine mandate for federal contractors. Last month, workers from Boeing joined employees from a bunch of other companies in a massive protest against these vaccine mandates. Boeing's vaccine requirement went into effect in October after Biden mandated that all federal contractors vaccinate their workforce or implement regular weekly testing. Although the deadline, the initial deadline was December 8th, the Biden administration extended it to January 4th last month. Earlier this month, the U.S. District Court for Southern District of Georgia ordered the Biden administration to halt enforcement in all covered contracts in any state or territory of the U.S. 
And because of that, Boeing vaccinated more than 90% of its employees while the mandate was in effect. The success of Boeing's vaccination requirement to date positions the company well to comply with the federal executive order should it be reinstated in the future. However, folks, more than 11,000 Boeing employees sought an exemption from the mandate on religious or medical grounds. That number is roughly 9% of the company's U.S. workforce. Other companies who joined in doing the same thing, like General Electric, HCA Healthcare, Spirit Aerosystems, and Amtrak. All those companies have recently suspended their vaccine requirements. And it's funny. It's really not funny. It's sad. But in a way, it's funny that we hear the stories this morning about two prominent U.S. senators. Both of them were double-vaxxed and double-boostered. Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker that both over the weekend tested positive for COVID-19. But Fauci, he gets it. He understands that's going to happen. Oh, that's going to happen. That's just part of the process. So what you do is you just forget about it. You just keep trucking and make sure you go ahead and get vaccinated. Because if you, when you do get to COVID, you're not going to get it as bad as it would have been if you hadn't been vaccinated. And how can you honestly and truthfully tell him to his face he's wrong? You can't do it because you don't know for a fact. And guess what, folks? He doesn't know factually that it's going to work. He's never known that. So what we just heard, the number we just told you, 90% of Boeing's employees got vaccinated after and because of Biden's mandate. How many of those people would not have gotten vaccinated without a mandate? I have always, from the very beginning, felt very confident Joe Biden was certain that the courts would end up turning and canceling these mandates away. But what the purpose was is to just go out there and say, we're going to do this. It's not going to go into effect until, you know, right around the first of the year or in December. But just go ahead and get it now. Beat the rush. And a lot of Americans did that exact thing. So they got their wish in large part. That's why today they tell us over 220 Americans have been vaccinated. There are a lot of other things on the plate besides COVID and besides the Build Back Better bill. Did you hear over the weekend that South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem advanced a bill in her state legislature that is going to cement and firm up her executive orders that limit transgender athletes they must compete only in categories that correspond to their birth gender she filed a bill on tuesday to limit k-12 grade girls school sports and state-funded colleges to allow only natural-born girls to compete in girls categories the governor issued her two executive orders back in march regarding the same thing after the legislature rejected her revisions of that House Bill 1217. Only girls should play girls' sports. Given the legislature's failure to accept my proposed revisions to uh, House Bill 1217, 
I'm immediately signing two executive orders to address this issue. One to protect fairness in K-12 athletics and another to do so in college athletics. That was back in March she did that. Additionally, I will be working with legislative leaders to schedule a special session in late May or early June. The special session will address this important issue as well as others. Despite her EOs, the state South Dakota High School Activities Association did not alter its policy of allowing trans athletes to pick whatever category they want to play in. Only female athletes, based on their biological sex, may participate in any team, sport, or athletic event designated as being for females, women, or girls. That's in our new bill. And it defines sex as that that is assigned at birth. Do you believe that we have to have these kinds of conversations? How stupid, how insane, how ridiculous is it for anybody to think that a biological male that determines, hey, I'm going to identify as being a woman and then gets involved in competition in women's sports, how can anybody believe that that athlete is not going to have a head up, a better opportunity to win in a competition than that of a girl, a biological girl? It just makes no sense to me. And folks, it goes all the way up to the real big sports in the world, the Olympics. Olympics is supposed to celebrate amateur athletics, the best in the world in every field that they compete in. And some of these athletes work for 20 years to get their bodies and their minds in the right place to be able to compete and win at that level. Only to find out now, hey, if I go over there, some guy that couldn't make it in guy sports, he decided, hey, I got a better shot if I just let my hair grow out long and wear a bra and just tell them, hey, I identify as a woman. And then I get to run against the girls. Boys' muscles are bigger. Their statues are bigger. Their biology works different than that of girls. And that's not a sexist comment. That's a factual comment, folks. And the stupidity, the stupidity of even contemplating that as something that we should do, it boggles the mind. I understand where its sources are, but I can't believe anybody would be that hardcore leftist to want to throw that out there and to legitimize it. It'll never be legitimized. And every one of those contests, those races, swim meets and all that kind of stuff that these biological males are trouncing these girls in the record books, all of those are going to have the proverbial asterisk out to the side and say, this girl, quote unquote, is biologically male. Looking back at that November 3rd, 2020 election, folks, there's some very nasty news being confirmed now about what happened during that election. And I got to be careful. Wait a minute. And I'm not on Google. I don't have to worry about it. I was going to say I'm not on Facebook uh, because saying this would mean I'd get sent to the corner. (laughs) But there was some shenanigans that went on. 
and it's showing up, believe it or not, from the IRS. A compliance document that was filed with the Internal Revenue Service by the Mark Zuckerberg-funded Center for Technology and Civic Life. The IRS has confirmed that CTCL, Zuckerberg's uh, not-for-profit they donate to, spent $332 million in, quote, grants and other assistance to domestic organizations and domestic governments in the 2020 election to increase civic participation by modernizing engagement between local government and the people they serve. Back in October, we reported this. Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced that he and his wife have donated an additional $100 million to a safe elections project run by the nonprofit CTCL, bringing their total contributions to that project to $350 million since September 1st. Critics say, and I guess that means I are one, these grants for local election administration were really thinly veiled efforts to get out the vote for Democrat candidates, specifically for Democrat presidential nominee Joe Biden. Biden was inaugurated 46th president of the U.S. January 20th. The Capitol Research Center uncovered the compliance document reported on it on Thursday. The CTCL filed its Form 990 for the period beginning February 1st of 2020, ending on January 31st this year, with the IRS on Wednesday. The document showed an increase in contributions to the organization in 2020 of more than $350 million. In all total, the rest of its contributions, $2.8 million in 2019. That number jumped to more than $354 million in 2020. Wonder why? Wonder why? Here's Mark Zuckerberg and his wife sitting out in the Silicon Valley in their big house in California, flying their jets. He drives the most exotic cars there are, making billions of dollars, billions of dollars. And they decide to get involved in local elections back in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. Why would they do that? to affect the final vote tally for presidents in those states. And you know what? It worked. We know it worked. So the young Americans in politics are getting out. Conservative TPUSA, Turning Point USA. They are moving aggressively around the nation. They, uh, over the weekend, have been out in a friend of mine's church in Phoenix, Arizona. Luke Barnett pastors a big church there. And he and Charlie Kirk have become close friends. And so they had last year had this one big meeting. They had another one during the weekend. And conservative young people from all over got there. Turning Point USA has been very effective. That's Charlie Kirk's not-for-profit that he formed several years ago. And what it does, it engages with young Americans that are very hungry to get involved in politics. 
and they're conservatives, so they look at all of this from their conservative perspective. Well, we just found out this morning officials at one Chicago high school have rejected on their campus conservative young students wanted to form a chapter of Turning Point USA, and the school won't let them do it. They say the organization doesn't supply diversity and inclusion and contradicts the school's mission to educate global citizens to create a better world. So after this came out, Turning Point USA spokesman Andrew Colvett provided with some news and information. It's Taft High School in Chicago, and their principal is either ignorant of the work TPUSA does, they say, or he is intentionally misrepresenting the facts by smearing the organization and our amazing student members. This is unacceptable behavior by an adult entrusted with safeguarding America's next generation. Contrary to his public statement, Principal Grishaber is the one failing to uphold Taft High School's values of diversity and inclusion by blocking a conservative student group on a campus dominated by progressivism. Unlike the principal, Turning Point USA remains committed to welcoming all students, regardless of skin color, ethnicity, or background, and the organization will continue working to form a chapter at Taft in the weeks and months ahead. The Chicago Sun-Times biased reporting said this about it. Charlie Kirk, an avid Trump supporter who considers critical race theory and the concept of white privilege is racist against whites. Taft High School Principal Mark Grishaber, they said in a letter to the school community that he wrote earlier this month that he was disturbed by efforts to launch a turning point chapter at Taft. Grishaber said in his note that the group doesn't support diversity and inclusion and contradicts the school's mission statement to educate global citizens to create a better world. Please know, he said in the letter, that staff and administration at Taft will never tolerate the formation of any group that does not support these values. Our diversity is our strength, and we're proud to celebrate it in our classrooms and school organizations. Do you see the rift between conservatism and leftist? Do you see it's growing at a rapid pace? It's getting wider and wider and wider. And instead of those on the left that are in power, totally control our government now, the White House, the House of Representatives, and the Senate, instead of them trying to find ways to bring Americans together, kind of like the orange man did, bring us together. Instead of doing that as Joe promised he would before the election, they're just stoking the fires of divisiveness and division every day. Think about what that what you just heard that principle say in the context of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. It speaks exactly against what this principle has done. We're all endowed by our Creator with unalienable rights. One of those is the freedom of speech, the freedom to say something that somebody else doesn't agree with. And it's okay to say that. Why? Because it's okay for them to say something which I don't agree with. But those on the left, 
They don't want that to fly. They want to kill the First Amendment. You can't say something that I disagree with. That's not fair. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. And of course, just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong either. Have a seat. Hey, where's the food? What kind of meeting is this? There's no food. We just said that so you would show up. What? No food? There's someone we think you should talk to. Hey, Dan, your co-workers told me you haven't done your taxes. I just want to say, you can call a TurboTax Live CPA for help. We'll help you get your refund and get back to your life. You'd really do that for me? Yeah, Dan. It's literally my job. Thanks, guys. So there's no snacks, nothing. I brought kale. TurboTax Live, now with CPAs on demand. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. For over 70... (laughs) What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Gecko. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Recognize that, uh, that riff there? That's the Eagles. What a great album that's from. Uh, Hotel California. Coming out of Egypt, there's some great singers, some great albums out of that group. I, uh, I've always really been an Eagles fan. It's not rock and roll. It's not country. It's not country rock. They just carved out their own type of music back in the, uh, the late 60s, early 70s. And they just made it a song, whatever song it was that they did, they recorded. They made it one that people could hum to and sing along with. And that's why they lasted as long as they did. Boy, when they lost Glenn Fry, when he died a couple of years ago, it was like pulling the, the cork out of a balloon and it just floating off, spewing air, took all the gas out of their tank. And they've come back and done a tour. I haven't seen them. I want to see their new tour. On part of the tour, um, they had Glenn Fry's son step in and sing his part on all the songs that they were doing. He's a good musician. But Glenn Fry, as good a singer as he was and as good as he with Don Henley were at writing songs, his forte, without question, was a, a songwriter. 
And uh, I recommend their music, especially the stuff that he wrote, to everybody. One of the, the, the best altar songs at a church. And I say that and you go, wait a minute. You were talking about the Eagles. Yeah. One of the best songs that apply to an altar call. Somebody coming down front and asking for salvation comes from an Eagles song. Do you know which one it is? It has a one-word title. Desperado. You heard me say that. You go listen to the song after the show today and listen to the words. It'll blow your mind. Let's get back to business as usual. We're in our last quarter hour. Just came out just minutes ago during the break. I saw this. You know, the Labor Department came out with their numbers last week. Well, the analysis of those November unemployment numbers show that the Republican-led states in the nation continue to outperform Democrat-led states in job recovery for 17 of the top 20 states, the lowest unemployment in 16 of the top 20 states. More jobs are being recovered and unemployment is lower in these red states. Well, without interruption from a Democrat-led state, the top 13 states leading in job growth at states across the country continue to end COVID-19 restrictions as Americans get back in the states run by a Republican governor. If you look further into the numbers that the Labor Department put out, the analysis confirms that 17 of the top 20 states led by Republican governors are doing better job versus those led by Democrat governors. Plus, 18 of the top 20 have Republican-controlled legislatures. Both of these are the ratio that the analysis of the October data revealed. Additionally to that, four Republican-led states, Utah, Idaho, Idaho, Texas, and Arizona, have produced more jobs than the state had before the COVID pandemic started, and any restrictions were put in place. Since the pandemic, Utah has had 143.6% of its jobs recovered. Idaho has had 118.2%. Texas, 101.9%. Arizona, 101.5%. The analysis also showed that 24 seats, excuse me, 24 states that are Republican-led recovered at least two-thirds of their jobs lost during the pandemic. On average, Republican-led states recovered 85% of their lost jobs since the beginning of the pandemic. That compares with only 73% of Democrat-led states have recovered their lost jobs since the beginning of the pandemic. What does all this mean, Dan? To be honest with you, it's very in-your-face. Democrats all bought in, leadership across the board, national and statewide, all signed in to just uh, ditto all of the egregious policies put out by the Biden administration on how to handle the pandemic. Back a year ago when all the lockdowns happened, you remember the blasting that Ron DeSantis in Florida got from the left at every level, not just the government, but news media. I mean, across the board, laughing about it. Floridians are going to die. And a bunch of these other red states, their leaders have looked at what has happened in Florida 
and compared it to what has happened in their states, and they're going back now, and they are, in many ways, parroting what Ron DeSantis has been doing for the last year in Florida uh, from the governor's office that he could do to make things better in their state. And it comes all down to one thing, liberty, liberty and freedom. Novel idea that Americans would expect that and want that, right? But that's what DeSantis is doing. And if I'm looking at a chart right now. In fact, we'll, we'll post it on uh, Truth News Networks, truthnewsnet.org on that website. We'll post it there for you to see tomorrow. And it breaks down in the graph uh, the states in these, um, in these categories, the states that are doing the best in job rebuilding after the pandemic. And it's crazy. I mean, the red states are all up top on the report and the Democrats are all down on the bottom. And that's a big deal, folks, because as goes the labor force in every country, in every state, so goes that state and country's economy. And in this case, ours has been sucking eggs in many ways. Yeah, the GDP is up. It has been up. But a lot of that comes from the fact that the government has invested trillions of dollars through the Federal Reserve, printing bonds and selling them, fake money basically, they've been injecting that into our economy, which makes it inflates the numbers. It's actually, if we just went by without government money injected and we could pull all that out of our economy and look at the numbers just based upon what we produce through our efforts as Americans, we'd be way, 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 way down in the last year. It's just a fact. Nobody can, nobody can uh, counter that with any facts because that's just the truth. You want to hear another goodie out there? Social justice warriors. The New York Times yesterday wrote a story demanding that all sports leagues shut down, all of them, professional, amateur, quit, competing against each other. Why? Do it for public health. It's time, they said, to press pause on games, on matches and meets. This is obviously from an editorial. If we're genuinely interested in public health, genuinely invested in slowing the virus and saving lives, we need to look at the storm that has gathered and take shelter from it. Come back in February or later, That's what the so-called paper of record said. The Times went on to suggest new policies for every sports league, including a long break followed by mask wearing. Go figure. It's time for sports leagues to mandate vaccination for every player. No shot, no games, no practices, or hanging at team headquarters, the paper claimed. The left-wing nannies, they continued recommending time that all teams require proof of vaccination from fans, and yes, the wearing of masks. When we see 100,000 fans packed shoulder to shoulder at the biggest stadiums, a sea of unmasked multitudes, everyone screaming at the top of their lungs, what message does that send? Time to get back to the rigor of daily testing. I'll just end on this. We are, when it comes to communication, and data collections 
and doing real, qualified, informed, educated analyses using data collected electronically, manually. However, America has perfected that process from top to bottom. Why don't they just tell us, hey, look, here's what happened at NBA last year in stadiums around the nation, in arenas around the nation. Here are the crowd volumes that they had, and here are the people that tested positive after these events. Because of the numbers, because of the statistics, because of the facts, we need to try to do this differently. Maybe think about some lockdowns. Maybe do that to be safe. Have they done that? No. You've not heard one report of any super spreader athletic events that have caused a bunch of COVID-19. But that's not good enough for the New York Times or any other leftist media outlet. They don't care about facts. It just feels right to go against the flow and to take egregious control of Americans and tell them what to do. That's a wrap been a good Monday. Thank you for being here. We will be back every day this week. We've got a guest story you're going to love tomorrow about Christmas coming from Kelly Nelson, one of our favorite, most favorite contributing writers here at TNN Live and at Truth News Network. You guys really love her. It's a great story. I've already read it myself. It'll be here with you tomorrow. We're here all week long. We're going to have a special Friday Christmas Eve show. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, but it's Christmas week, and Santa Claus is coming. Have a great one, folks. Here's a Louisiana guy. You'll love it. I think I saw old Santa through my window Christmas Eve. My eyes were really droopy, but I really do believe it must have been old Santa, because I saw his big red head. And I know my mom and dad can't buy like that, oh no.
show It was barely past my bedtime And so old Santa said Little boys like you should be in bed So I hollered ho 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 And I put on Santa's hat And he let me hold the reins a while We pull up to my window And I jump back in my room And I wave goodbye to Santa with a smile When I woke up Christmas morning Well, it was clear and bright My parents said my window had blown open in the night I smiled as I told them that it must have been the cat And they asked me where I got my 